When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. Well, the buzz quote is from Reed Hoffman, LinkedIn co-founder. He's a young guy born in 1967, an American internet entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and author. And on Forbes list this year of the world's billionaires with a B, he was ranked number 631 with a net worth of $3.1 billion U.S. So there, here's the quote. The future is sooner and stranger than you think. That's a loaded statement, and the word I want you to focus on with me is future. So, what does it mean to be a futurist at this time in our personal history and our business history? Today's futurist, and when I wrote this term, today's futurist, put the words together, I thought, that's an oxymoron. How can you be today in a futurist? But we will be talking to three of them. Today's futurists have to take into account the key trends, including the impact of the digital world. Come on, we're in an era of connected everything everywhere. It all impacts what we do and where we're going, as well as technological advances are going to propel us right into the next century. It's really not that far away. And futurists leverage creative and open tools and techniques to help them imagine the future. Imagine is another key word and build stories that may chart our path for business, social, and digital advancements. So Sounds like they've got a full plate. They're constantly thinking about where we're all going. I like to explain the future as when I end this sentence, that little pause was the future. It was the present while it was happening, and now it's the past. So there. So what comes next for our futurists? A magical crystal ball? We're going to find out. Let me tell you who our esteemed panelists are, and then we'll get started. First up in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Susan L.K. Gorbett, G-O-R-B-E-T. Yes, we had another Gorbett on one of our shows a few weeks ago, Matt Gorbett. Susan is the co-founder of Gorbett Design. Joining her on the panel is Jill Irvine, who works for SAP Global Presales on Business Innovations and Trends, rounding out the panel is a futurist who has been a guest on Game Changers before. It's Kai Gerlich. If you want to look him up, it's G-O-E-R-L-I-C-H. He's a the chief futurist at SAPSE. So glad to have them all on the panel. Susan Gorbett has sent me the following quote from Goethe's Faust. Come on, you all remember we've talked about Faust before. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe Faust is a tragic play in two parts, usually known in English as Faust Part 1 and Faust Part 2. The first one takes place in multiple 
simple settings. The first is heaven, and I'll just tell you that Mephistopheles makes a bet with God. He says that he can lure God's favorite human being, Faust, who is striving to learn everything that can be known away from righteous pursuits. That's enough of a teaser. Here's the quote Susan has selected. What you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. I like the rhyme. Susan Gorbett, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of Faust? Do you know the whole the whole part one and part two? Uh, I'm I'm not such a big fan in that sense. Um, I I enjoy this quote because I feel like it has this sense of bold imagination that futurists really need. Um, futures thinking is all about creating a vision, and when it works, it feels like magic. It feels like this sense of genius. You know, you get you get a glimpse of the possible future, and there's so much power in that. Being able to imagine a future that's radically different than the present is actually something that we as humans are not very good at. Um, and so, using the tools of futures thinking to do that is is an incredibly powerful ability. And it's at the core of true transformative innovation. Susan, thank you. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a futurist? Huh. I do. Uh, I have a Master of Design in Strategic Foresight and Innovation, as it, it, it's called. It says on my degree. Um, I, I think that futurists are simply people who um, think about the future in ways that uh, transcend the the, the ordinary limits, the ordinary cognitive biases that we all as humans have, and it's sort of use these tools to leapfrog ourselves uh, into a way of thinking about the future. Thank you very much, Susan. Nice to meet you, and thanks for the great quote. I like it so much, I might just crochet it on something. I don't know. We'll see what my future brings. <laughs> Excuse me. Let me clear my throat. Now I'd like to welcome Jill Irvine at SAP Global Presales in Business Innovations and Trends. And she has sent us a quote from Roald, R-O-A-L-D, Dahl, uh, 1916 to 1990, a British novelist, a short story writer, a poet, screenwriter, and fighter pilot. Well, those don't usually go together in the same bio description. His books have sold more than 250 million copies worldwide. His short stories are known for unexpected endings. Maybe that's what the future is, unexpected endings. And his children's books are known for their unsentimental, macabre, darkly comic mood featuring villainous adult enemies of the child's characters. However, he champions the kind-hearted and features an underlying warm sentiment. Glad to hear that. Uh, So here, let me see if I have something about the Minpins is a book by Dahl, published in 1991. It's considered to be his last contribution to literature after he passed away the year before. Little Billy is forbidden by his mother to enter the forest of sin behind his house, and she warns him of all kinds of things he doesn't want to encounter. So here is the quote Jill has selected from the Minpins. And above all, Watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Jill Irvine, I love the quote. How are you? 
I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. And, and if you're not yet familiar with Roald Dahl, then I really hope that I've been able to introduce you to him in this way because he's a fantastic author um, and an author who really uh, made an imprint, made an impact on my childhood. I had a primary school teacher who uh, used to use the rainy break times, which obviously were a frequent occurrence in the UK, uh, <laughs> to read these stories to, to, to full classes, bringing the characters to life with the voices that he used. Um, and, and Roald Dahl's stories, particularly the children's ones, really are so in, amazingly creative, so incredibly uh, imaginative. And the reason I chose this quote was, uh, it's actually it's not from my favorite Roald Dahl book, but the, the, the quote itself, I think, speaks volumes. Um, it, it highlights how um, children are actually, I mean, he's an adult, obviously, or was an adult when the book, when the book was written, but children are so creative. They're essentially, seem- they have seemingly endless capacity to be imaginative. They know no boundaries to their creativity. And whereas we adults tend to have shed that skill along the way, either we've suppressed it or we've, we've somehow forgotten how to do that because we feel constraints in the business world, in the day-to-day life. Um, and I think that, that this quote really um, illustrates that there is an awful lot of inspiration out there in our day-to-day life. Um, we've just got to go around with our eyes and our ears open and, and really pick up on what's out there as, a, as an inspiration uh, for maybe where the future could take us. And, and uh, Jill, very, very interesting. Um, do you consider yourself a futurist? The same question I just asked Susan Gorbett. I would differentiate. I, I step back from the term futurist a little bit because I don't have the formal qualifications that, that Susan has in this area. Um, I, I, have, I go about futurism from a different angle. My, my approach would really be a sort of a more realism, more here today and, and now. It's more about really helping or enabling people to be able to feel comfortable with thinking about the future and to, to arm them with um, skills, to arm them with techniques to be able to imagine the future or, or more specifically possible futures. So no, I'm not really a futurist. I'm a here and now, but with a view <coughs> to the future. Very interesting. And did you agree, Ms. Not Futurist Jill Irvine, did you agree with my comment <laughs> that for me the future is that point where... I just stopped what happened after and now it's already gone. Is it that fast from, from your concept of what the present is that eventually w- will become the future when you say it and then it'll be the past? I'm not trying to get us in a circular reasoning here, but what do you think the future really is? It's, it's everything that's around the next corner, whether the next corner is 10 minutes from now, whether it's an hour, whether it's 100 years from now. So it really is. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with. Thinking about the future can feel incredibly intimidating because I think a lot of times people automatically slip into sort of sci-fi imagery and otherwise it can literally be what's six months from now. Um, I mean, I'm thinking specifically in a business context here. Mm-hmm. It's what is around the next corner. Um, so, so yes, it is what, what to take your quote, it, it is literally what, was just happening, um, but it is also um, a little further down the line than that. But when I think about futurism, when I, when I support people in thinking about it, I am not thinking 10, 15, 100 years from now. I'm really sort of maybe a five to 10 year timescale maximum. 
I like that. To me, the future is this afternoon. I'm sorry. That's, that's as far as I can look ahead. And it's because we have that's another media. radio show. Another radio show at 2 o'clock this afternoon. That's my future. Thank you, Jill. Pleasure to meet you as well. And now let's welcome Kai Gerlich, Chief Futurist at SAPSE. Kai has been on some other Game Changer shows with me a little while ago in the past. And he is a futurist, so I'll be asking him what that means to him in a moment. But Kaya sent us a quote from a gentleman named Ashley Brilliant. It sounds like a stage name, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, Brilliant, just the way it sounds. He's 83 years old, not Kai. Ashley, born in 1933, Brilliant is an author and syndicated cartoonist born in London and living in California. His books are what he calls Witty and Wise Potshots, or Brilliant Thoughts, using his last, I wonder if it's a stage name. His books include, I have abandoned my search for the truth and I'm now looking for a good fantasy, more brilliant thoughts. He wrote also, I try to take one day at a time but sometimes several days attack me at once and one one more 1977 i may not be totally perfect but parts of me are excellent and other brilliant thoughts i, I just love the titles so here is the quote kai has selected from ashley brilliant quote to be sure of hitting the target shoot first and call whatever you hit the target kai Gerlich, welcome back how have you been kai it's been a long time Yes, quite a long time. Uh, feels like a lot of past happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, a lot of futures are already gone. So tell me something, Kai. You're a futurist. Before you talk about the quote, you're a futurist, a chief futurist. What is a chief futurist? Are you the futurist of all futurists or the, the king of all futurists? What do you do? Uh, I, I wear some fancy feathers and call me chief. No, um, uh, <laughs> in, in <theory> it's uh, <clears throat> Okay, got me. Go ahead. <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just a title. You know, we, we have several titles here, and just calling you a futurist means basically everyone could be, or most people are, kind of. And this is my, my job, basically, to analyze trends and futures. And as we have several chief designers, chief something, we, we thought about what would give me a brilliant excuse to start a discussion. And we thought a chief futurist might work. I like that a lot. Now talk to me. Are you a big fan of Ashley Brilliant? Where in the world did you find the quote? Because I think it's, oh dear, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I think the quote is brilliant. Well, it is on many levels. So Kai, how did you find this yeah. quote? I'm fascinated. Yeah, I, this was just by coincidence. I, as of last time when I was on this show, I looked for something totally different. And uh, we have this already, you know, you have to, to look in, in non-ordinary places. And actually, I like the, the quote the most because this is, is uh, what the, the best criticism or the most criticism that futurists get, you know, that in retrospective, you're always right. So you, you never, futurists are known to, to never uh, uh, somehow foresee the truth, you know, they just blur it up. And then with insight, they say, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, we were not so wrong at last. And so it fits totally to the, to the, to the profession of, of the futurist, uh, it, it, it's, it's this magician style of futurist that it's uh, often, often it's a caricature. You know, it, it's uh, it's a fun thing I think because uh, actually I don't I don't think that I will ever get it right. So uh, this is not my job to to get one future right. Or I'm not an oracle, I'm not a Delphi oracle or something. But my job is to construct. Um, several versions, scenarios of futures, of potential futures that are slightly different from each other and to get prepared for these futures and not just uh, to foresee a single one, which would be futile, I think. 
Very, very interesting. So, have you read any or many of his books? I have to know. Do you have a whole collection of Ashley Brilliant's Brilliance? That was a play. No, no, I haven't. Uh, I have just just, uh, bought one now because I I love the quote so much with with these... uh, uh, several days attack me at once. Uh, I really laugh my head off. This, this is exactly like it feels, you know. Someday you you start your day and you think, oh, cool, you know, everything is uh, in proper shape, you know. I made my to-do list, and then the day comes, and the days come, and uh, you're overwhelmed. And such sometimes it happens for the future. Just right now with the digitization, it's so much that we yes. that we get a that we get blurred our vision gets blurred and then it helps to to sit down and really make your homework Thank you very much. I'm I'm so intrigued that you picked Ashley Brilliant for your quote and Jill picked Raw Dahl because uh Jill I'm looking at the titles of his books and they are I'm just going to say Fantastic or Phantasmagormic, James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, The Witches, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Twits, and George's Marvelous Medicine uh, and Tales of the Unexpected for Adults. Very interesting, very, very interesting. Faust is in another category all by itself. Susan Gorbett, I'm circling around the table to you, and I have two very personal questions for you. Don't take them personally. Number one is, where are you calling from today? And number two is, what are you drinking? This is our part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. What are you drinking right now? If it's interesting, if not, what would you rather have in your cup today? Susan Gorbett, please talk to me. Well, it's a bright, sunny day in Toronto after two days of fabulous thunderstorms, lightning, thunder, and crashing, and uh, it's been amazing. Um, I'm looking at the orange poppies blooming outside my window, and I've got a cup of cold brew coffee. We've recently been really taken with the sweetness of it. Um, it has a little problem, cold brew coffee, though, which is that it takes some thinking ahead. You don't make it when you drink it. <laughs> you have to make it the day before. <laughs> Interesting. So it's a, it's a futurist kind of a drink, right? It really is. <laughs> Very interesting. And and does it have uh, a specific flavor? Do you make it with a pod from one of the, like an espresso or a Keurig? Uh, do you make it from ground coffee in some kind of a French press? Uh, is it just regular coffee that you brew cold? Just give me a little more. What does it mean? Well, we, we've actually got a pitcher that's made for brewing cold brew coffee, and you put regular coffee in it, um, but there's a it has sort of a core down the middle that you put the coffee in, and then you slowly pour water in and get the grounds wet, and it fills up, and it's just kind of a lightly brown liquid when you stick it in the refrigerator, and then you wait a day, and poof, you get this sweet, delicious, cold in it, and it's lovely because as summer's coming, I'm really looking forward to iced coffee in the morning, although today Uh, I'm still drinking it hot. That sounds very good. I'm glad the thunderstorms are over. We just had off and on rain, rain, rain here in New York, and it is a gorgeous sunny day, so I'm with you. Thank you, Susan. And Matt Gorbett was on our show a couple weeks ago. What's your relationship? He is my husband and business partner. Well, how nice to know. Does does he enjoy cold brew coffee as well? He does. We do. Unfortunately, that makes the pitcher go twice as fast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, there you go. You need a double picture for the Gorbits. Thank you very much while they're designing. And now let's turn to Jill Irvine. Jill, where are you today and what are you drinking right now? If it's interesting, if not, what would you prefer? 
I'm in Waldorf, Germany, and it is hot and humid. So summer has hit, oh. and as this part of Germany, it gets really humid once it starts to heat up. And, and uh, just for the benefit of those of you that maybe can't imagine what this feels like, in the offices here at SAP, we don't have air conditioning. So it's we're melting, aren't we, Kai? <laughs> There's, uh, yeah, it, it gets a little challenging to keep, uh, keep fresh during the course of the day. So with the drinks that I have on my desk, I'm greedy. I have two, which is a good thing when it's as, as hot and sticky as it is. Mm-hmm. I have two. And do you know what? They represent exactly who I am because I'm British. But I've been in Germany for the last 18 years, uh, 19 years, actually, in fact, now. Um, and I have a cup of British tea, which I actually have imported. Well, I have no, I buy it online now the way, the way everybody buys online. But in the early days of my time in Germany, it's just something, it's a brand, I have Tetley's Tea. You can't buy that here easily anyway. You can, you can buy it in some stores in, in bigger cities, but it's not easy to get hold of. And there is no real equivalent that's, that's the right thing for me in the German market. So I, I used to have people bring suitcases of this when they came to visit me. And uh, yeah, you, you can, you can uh, take a girl out of the UK, but you can't stop her drinking British <laughs> tea. So I have that and I have it much to the ridicule of my colleagues, always with a splash of milk. Um, and that's balanced out by the German influence that has, uh, has uh, worked upon me over the last 19 years. The Germans are a nation of mineral water drinkers. They drink mm. gallons and gallons of water and a lot of sparkling water. It's the one thing I miss when I'm traveling anywhere else. So I have a big glass of sparkling water, which I can't do without. That's the, the, the German influence on me. So I have my tea and my sparkling water. Very interesting. I have to tell you, Jill, I looked up Tetley Tea because I remember it very well here in the U.S. In 1822, brothers Joseph and Edward Tetley sold salt from a pack horse in Yorkshire, England. They then started to sell tea, and they were so successful, they set up as Joseph Tetley and Co. and Company Tea Merchants in 1837. That was 15 years later. They relocated to London 20 years later and set up as Joseph Tetley and Company Wholesale Tea Dealers. And in 1952, in a cross-promotion, Petula, or Petula, you may pronounce it, Clark, had a single record, Anytime is Tea Time Now, was used to advertise Tetley on Radio Luxembourg. It was the first company to sell tea in tea bags in the UK in 1953. Did you know that, Jill? I did not. I knew that their, their roots were in Yorkshire, which is where I studied as well. So I spent some of my life there too, but I did not know the rest of that. I certainly didn't know they were salt merchants, nor did I know the Petula Clark uh, angle there either. Very There you go. <laughs> we live and learn. I, I like to look up. Look, I'm a futurist. I'll, I'll look something up for you while you're waiting to talk. While you're talking about it, I'll look it up, and then we'll bring the future into the past. Thank you. Enough of that, Bonnie. And now let's turn to Kai. Kai, where are you today? A little birdie just told us we think you're in Waldorf. And what are you drinking, Kai? <laughs> I'm drinking a self-made Italian espresso with oat milk. So I don't drink cow milk, so I put oat milk into it, which works. It's a total... I had a, one of these, you know, full full espresso machines, you know, the f- full service ones, and uh, now I'm back to the old Italian uh, style. You put on, on, uh, you, you basically brew yourself, so it's cool. It's it's uh, and it restricts the, the level or the amount of coffee I drink per day because uh, it, it takes some time, and so you know, you just you have to do a little bit more work than just push, pushing a button, which I regularly do in, in the office. 
so in the office, I, I drink more coffee than, than it's, is good for me. Well, that's, oh that's it. And I have, actually, I'm a tea drinker. So, Jill, you have uh-huh. to tell me how do you do that with this calcium-rich water here in Germany because uh, I, never, I never could, uh, it, you know, it makes tea rather tasteless. But maybe we meet in, in the office and discuss. See, you meet the most interesting people here. Kai, a thousand guests, a thousand shows, four thousand or five thousand guests in five years are in Game Changers. I think you're the first one to mention oat milk. I'm not kidding you. So you know what I did. I had to look it up. Let me just read you a drop here. I think Jill and Susan will find this interesting quote. This is from an article on bonappetit.com from November 2015. So it's about a year and a half old by Alyssa Goldberg. Quote, while you're busy watching your barista craft squiggly latte art designs with watery almond milk, or so five years ago, soy milk. Hum. I, I put the hum in for editorializing. Stockholm locals are sipping on drinks topped off with oat milk. Wait, what is oat milk? It's what happens when you soak steel-cut oats or whole groats in water, blend the mixture, and strain it. The resulting milk-dash water tastes just like that warm, thin layer of cream that sits atop a bowl of porridge. It's basically... Oh, Kai, you're going to love this. It's the cashmere sweater of winter drinks. Kai, did did you know that? Did you know that? No. <laughs> well, well, now you do. Make, make now my you... espresso a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're very, very welcome. I'm going to post the link to that. Very interesting. Well, now that we know what everybody's drinking except me, <clears throat> Kai may remember they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And this is a double header. <laughs> 10 a.m. here, and then we'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern with Changing the Game with HR. So all they let me have is water. I have Brita-filled water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw because I'm so happy that the world is green outside my office window and that the sky is blue and the sun, I'm just going to say, is shining brightly and everyone feels like they're in the pink because it's a beautiful day. On that note, I'm going to say we're going to take a quick break. We're talking about today's futurists. You decide if that's an oxymoron or not. Are they analyzing trends? Do they have a crystal ball or a little bit of both? We're going to find out with Susan L.K. Gorbett of Gorbett Design, Joel Irvine, and Kai Gerlich at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know there's a lot more. We'll be right back. Kevin out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When you discuss the future design of any topic, there is one word always present. Connected. As technology opens up the possibility of connection, we need to work together to ensure the ensuing change delivers forward progress to the people involved. Leaders designing a connected future will add another word to the narrative of disruption and innovation, inclusion. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the purposeful design of the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Designing the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to designing the future with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're back, and we're talking about what is a futurist. I have a stellar panel today, Susan Gorbett, Jill Irvine, Kai Gerlich, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're looking at the notes my panelists sent me before the show started, and we have something interesting. We're going to kick off the roundtable with Susan L.K. Gorbett. And Susan sent me the following two quotes. I know we already did quotes in the opening, but this is different. This is the roundtable, so put your seatbelt on here for a second, and I will introduce the topic, and then Susan will expand it. She quotes Peter Drucker, management guru. The only thing we know about the future is that it is going to be different. That's one quote. And then she she adds a quote from futurist Danny Hillis from the Long Now Foundation, who points out, quote, the future is the only thing we can do anything about. Wow. Susan Gorbett, tell us more, please. I think that this is a central tension. This is the central paradox of futurists, this idea that we absolutely cannot know what the future will bring. And yet, if we want to affect the world, if we want to do anything about it, we, we need to uh, imagine ourselves into the future. And so that space between those is where futurists live. Um, since we don't know what the future will bring, we, we think about it, um, we tell stories, we imagine, we think in possibilities instead of in, in as Kai said, in, in predictions or, or being an oracle. Um, we, we think about multiple futures, futures thinking uh, rather than the future, um, and scenarios instead of predictions. So it, it's, it's this tension um, of, of knowing that we can't know uh, is really important, I think, to this sense of imagination because in, in a way it's very freeing. It leads you to be able to imagine in multiple different directions, which you need to do as a, a futurist because what you're doing is actually creating signposts for yourself to recognize when things that you've imagined are, are headed in that direction or are going to come to pass. Very interesting, creating signposts for yourself. Can anybody call themselves a futurist based on what you said, Susan? I, I mean, I, I think in some ways anyone can call themselves anything, um, but just as in any field, like you could call yourself a psychologist if you wanted to, um, but just as in any field, there are methods, there are tools, there are ways of thinking. You, you can learn those things, um, which help you get better at being able to uh, predict something in the future. Um, there was just a recent study uh, by a guy named Philip Petlock at the University of Pennsylvania um, and he actually found that top political experts tend to do very poorly at, at thinking about the future. Um, they, they do only slightly better than chance. Uh, in fact, the New York Times said that chance randomly throwing darts at the possible outcomes would have done almost as well as the experts. Um, really? So, wow. Well, the interesting thing is that these weren't futurists. These were um, top political experts. And so then they did a, a study really looking at 
people who, um, and, and, and asking people to make predictions in terms of probability about coming events. And then I looked at what made people good at doing that, right? What, what were the top 2% of people um, like? And they found um, a set of similar traits. And intelligence, of course, was, was part of it. But one of the key ingredients was what they called open-mindedness. And mm-hmm. this is not so much in the sense of, of, you know, liberal or conservative open-mindedness, but in the sense of how well do you deal with uncertainty? Can you see all sides of a problem? Um, futures like to say, hold strong opinions loosely. So this sense of very interesting. To, yeah, develop an opinion and then also let go of it when something pushes you in a different direction. Thank you, Jill. I'm, thank you, Susan. I'm thinking of Jill. Jill, I want to get you in on this conversation. Futurists hold, hold it loosely. Talk to me, Jill. What do you think about what Susan introduced? What's your thought? I, I love the, the bit that you just echoed there as well, the, the, the holding uh, strong opinions loosely. That's exactly what this is about. I mean, if you think back to the, the, the reason that I chose a, a book or a quote from a child's book at the opening point was about the imagination that kids have. It's about the, the creativity and the complete lack or the seemingly complete lacking of, of uh, boundaries of constraints that they feel. We've all got that within us. That's, that's, our, that's our richness that, that we once had and we've kind of suppressed. And I think that's exactly where, where, um, where the, 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 sort of the, the richness of this topic is, is digging back to that, that basis that we have in there um, in order to be able to be open to open to failure as well. I mean, as Kai, I think, also mentioned in his, in his starting point, it's not about having the right idea or the right proposal. It's being open to the being variations on a theme, being multiple themes, being which direction could mm-hmm. this go in, opening your sense, picking up on signals from what's happening around you, and, and you know, spinning out stories in different directions. Where could this, where could this head to? So this is where I would all, argue, no, not everybody has to be a futurist, but everybody mm-hmm. with the right support mechanisms or the right support network has the capacity to be able to imagine futures. Thank you. I think imagine is one of those key words I mentioned in my opening. I'm glad to hear it pop up again. Thank you, Jill. Kai, our Chief Futurist official title. Kai, what do you think about what Susan introduced as well as Jill's comments? Go ahead, Kai. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in line with it. This, this is exactly the, the, the main problem. The our goal is to, to create multiple worldviews. What, what we usually do when we are confronted with a problem is that we tend to go for one solution only or for one based on our assumptions, based on our ethnic uh, standpoint, on our religion, on our belief systems, how we got raised up. And uh, holding several worldviews in parallel in, in, in our hands is the best weapon to, to make it into the future. The problem is that somehow we don't like that. We, you know, we are human beings and actually we like it uh, more or less basic and, and predictable. And as the future is totally unpredictable, um, it, it's a kind of eerie feeling you get when you have several worldviews in, in, in parallel, like we can run into a view into a future with full robotics, the Terminator style, uh, where we are, you know, confronted with uh, really bad machines, are total different scenarios, and all of them can be true, as long as we're not made it into the future. And that's the problem. People are getting uneasy. So our job is basically to create these worlds and and to discuss it. 
but not not uh, publish them all right away because usually if if you're not kind of um, if you if you don't have the right makeup that you can hold several worldviews in your mind, then then this makes you totally uneasy. So, but but it's full in line. This is what what the profession is about. So it's not being a futurist. It's it's to to basically juggle with several worldviews in in parallel. Thank you, Kai, and, and everyone. I have a quick quote to throw on the table here for all three panelists to react to. I think you're not going to be surprised. Apparently, it was said by Abraham Lincoln, although there may be other other people who've been attached to it. The quote is, the best way to predict your future or the future is to create it. Susan Gorbett, love to get your thoughts on that quickly. Let's go around the table, and then I'll pick a topic from Jill's list. Susan, agree or disagree with Mr. Lincoln, supposedly? Um, I think it's a balance. I think to some extent that's very true. There are many examples uh, of people who have uh, imagined the future, told stories about it, and then, um, you know, whole industries um, like Neil Stevenson's uh, book, Snow Crash, um, enormously affected mm-hmm. the way that the whole VR industry started out uh, 20 years ago in the 3D world. Um, and. Uh, GM uh, created a vision at the uh, in the at the World's Fair um, early on of the way that the highway system would work in North America, and then everybody kind of fell in line and and followed it. Um, so, so those kinds of things definitely can happen. Uh, we 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 head in directions that we can imagine. Um, I I think that sometimes futures futures talk about preferred futures. So there's this sense of recognizing lots of possibilities and then trying to steer in the direction that you would prefer. Um, I don't think it's as deterministic as all that, um, this this sense of of inventing and saying, okay, yes, this is going to be the thing. Um, And I think that when people do that around technology, they often forget the, the human desires that surround the technology. Um, they invent a technology, try to push that forward, but it's really this sort of bigger sense of the, of the driving forces of, of people and how we are um, that pushes us into the future. Thank you very much. Jill Irvine, love to get your thoughts on this quote, whether it's from Lincoln or not. It certainly is something we hear a lot of. Jill, what do you think? Absolutely. The first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is uh, it's multi-level. I I can influence my own personal future, maybe more than I can influence a a broader perspective or a broader broader future because there are so many different influences in there. The things that I have completely within my control are things that that will change that I maybe don't have on the radar. And this is, again, where where Kai's idea of of multiple worldviews comes into play. Um, I if I can broaden my horizon and be open and aware of things that are happening on that broader horizon, identifying, picking up on, on things, then I'm much better prepared for, um, for a future that, that isn't completely within my own control. So I'm taking that sort of very much to a personal level here mm-hmm. rather than a sort of a more general generational or otherwise a society uh, future. I think it's important uh, to, to see those different uh, individuals have, the, have a, a future, but it's impacted very much by what goes on in the world around them. And I think if you, if you can open up, open those, those, uh, those shutters to see what's happening more in the world around you, you're much better at being able to actually imagine your own future because the two things go hand in hand. Thank you, Jill. Very interesting. Kai, join us. What do you think about that quote? Do you agree or disagree? 
I agree, and I'm, I'm still on the same personal level. I sometimes mm-hmm. think that the main problems discussing futures is uh, that if, if you're not aware of your own future, if, if you're not walking your own path, so to say, with your full heart, um, then, you're getting an, an, then you're getting into trouble because if, if you know who you are and what, what you are good at and what you really want to do, then even if the world is changing, you, you're always somehow you're prepared. That's what, what it's called resilience. And if you have this resilience and several people have resilience, then you make it into the future because you can adapt. You always will find a path, so to say, unless uh, something really catastrophic happens. And I think the, 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 the best recipe is make sure that you know about yourself what you have to know, so be a full person, and get surrounded by the, the, the people alike and then create the future. If you're in a company or an organization, it doesn't matter. And then you will get traction and people will follow you. So, yes, I fully agree. You can create your own future, um, but you have to be aware that, that, the, that life is complex and it, it may turn out to be a different future, but not necessarily a bad one. Very interesting. Kai, I'm quoting you here on Twitter, and tell me if this is okay to say. Quote, if you are resilient, you will always adapt to the future. Can we go with that one? Because it fits the character yep. limit. Are you wonderful. <laughs> okay. It says, heard on hashtag SAP radio. Kai Go, that's his, K-A-I-G-O-E is his handle. If you are hashtag resilient, you will always adapt to the hashtag future, and I'm going to put a hashtag in front of the word adapt. I think that's Another important one. So you are now immortalized, Mr. Gerlich. And now let's go to... Yes, go ahead. Who wants to talk? uh, Can I follow that up um, a bit? Yeah. Because I I, I think that that idea is is really important, this sense of being able to adapt and and having that resilience. Um, And as Jill said, identifying, sort of picking up about on what's happening around you. Um, the, the, The way I like to... To think about it, um, I'm, I'm going to use a canoe metaphor because I'm in Canada and I recently became a Canadian citizen and they require it oh. of us when that happens, so, so I'm going to bring canoes into it. Um, but if you're on the river and you're paddling a canoe, um, you know, you have a destination in mind and if, if you're headed down the river, you know, the, the current might pick up and, and carry you down the river and, and at first you think, oh, terrific, you know, there's a, there's a current and it's taking me the direction I want to go and I can just sit back. Maybe I don't even need to paddle. This is, this is fantastic. Um, but if you've been sitting around the campfire the night before um, and telling stories about uh, canoe trips and, and that sort of thing, and, you know, so one of the old timers sort of tells you a story about the time that the current took him over the waterfall, um, you, you might be able to recognize, you know, to hear having told that story and having heard that, then when the current starts to pick up, you might recognize that you actually need to paddle like heck for the bank instead of letting the current carry you over the waterfall. And it's, it's that sense of storytelling and, and recognition about things that are happening in the world that, that is really what this idea of future thinking and creating scenarios and imagining gives us. Thank you very much. I love the paddle down the river. Seriously, when you become a Canadian citizen, and con- congratulations to you, Susan, you have to learn how to canoe. Is that the truth? <laughs> Required. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I fell right into that river. It's just paddling me along into the future. Thank you very much, Jill, Jill Irvine. I want to pick up a couple of notes here, what you have here. Let me read two of the topics you sent me. Let's see if we can create them. We're going to talk about stories now. Actually, uh, Jill, you need to know I'm doing a show on Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series, next Wednesday, June 7th on storytelling, the art of storytelling for sale. So that's why your topics here with stories and the future caught my attention. So you say, stories that have human meaning are the single most powerful mechanism for future thinking as they provide a context to which almost anyone can relate. And then you add borrowed experiences, meaning stories experienced secondhand through film, book, maybe song, I'm guessing, can help people to form pictures of the future. Can you bring us into this world of storytelling in the future, Jill, please? I love these. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Susan just demonstrated storytelling for us perfectly because we were all sitting in that canoe, either paddling along beside <laughs> her or... Uh, Touche. That is exactly what storytelling is about, is allowing pictures to form in people's mind. It's about empathy. It's about being able to slip into somebody else's shoes and understand how the world looks like from their perspective. Um, and that, because thinking about the future can feel incredibly intimidating to some people, um, because it's unknown and we're so, we're so formed by what is known and, and, and maybe an expectation that things should feel sort of certain and set in stone, and uh, the, the unknown can feel really quite intimidating. So stories um, have... A, Stories can help to anchor us in, in, in that what they actually provide us with is a sense of familiarity paired with something that's potentially new. So the, the future is the something that's potentially new. But if we can anchor it in something that we know that we can relate to from our lives today or from our lives in the past, and as you know, those can be quite closely related in terms of the timescale, then that really can actually make the future feel real. It's like, like we talked about the timescale of the future. Is it the next five seconds or is it the next five years, the next 50 years? It's all of those things. But if, if the link between what's familiar to me and what is new is something that I can actually sense through mm -hmm. hearing a story, something that I can slip into and imagine what it feels like to be that person in the story, in the situation that's being told, then it actually feels real to me. To take the, the, the second point about borrowed experiences versus something that I personally have genuinely had uh, experience of, um, you know, I'm not a neurologist, I'm not going to pre pretend that I am, but neurologists have found that the, the, the way we recall experiences in terms of the patterns and synopsis in our brains at the time is exactly the same whether it's something that we experienced at first hand or if it was something that, um, you know, literally it was a movie we saw, it was a book we read, it was an account, mm -hmm. somebody, somebody shared an experience with me. I'm saving those experiences in exactly the same manner, whether they were mine or whether they were something that I heard secondhand. So those are all, those are all really powerful tools. I mean, one of the things I do at SAP is, is I, I work with our salespeople, our pre-sales people, to help them, to help our customers imagine their futures. Um, and, and that's the challenge there is, again, breaking out of that, you know, how do we do this? What is it? It's also unknown. And the, the story is the, the, the absolute tool of choice because... It doesn't need to be my story, but if, I, if you give me enough to be able to imagine it, enough that feels familiar, then I can actually start to, start to translate that to my own world and start to follow that journey as if it were my own. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful, Jill. Thank you very much. Kai, let's get your thoughts on this beautiful thread that 
Jill has shared with us about storytelling and the future. Kai, what do you think? I'm afraid I cannot phrase it such beautifully, but uh, I'm fully behind, <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, I think that storytelling is, is the best recipe to make it into the future. It's like, it's like all fairy tales uh, tell you, or science, good science fiction. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't have a... We need these kinds of stories. It's like a, the hero's journey uh, of Joseph Campbell. You have to create a, 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 the hero's journey into the future. Otherwise, it's not really interesting, and people will not follow. So they, they don't buy it. Simply saying, hey, we have a new technology, it's the future... It won't tell you very much. It's like, uh, yeah, well, it's like to, to stay in the metaphor, we have a canoe and we are now paddling. Yeah, well, hmm. this is boring. The, the, the fun starts when you say, why are you doing it? What are you want to do? What, what will the experience be? And, and we are all storytellers and listeners. I mean, this is, we are the most awake, uh, the most aware when we sit around a campfire or in a cave and listen to these stories. And the same is, is, is still true today. So we desperately need storytelling, yes. Thank you very much. Susan, love to get your thoughts quickly on this so I can pick up before we go to our crystal ball predictions, how perfect for three futurists or future thinkers. I want to pick up one topic from Kai's list. So, Susan, what do you think? I think absolutely. Um, and I, I think that, that that type of storytelling, that, that, that beauty that, that Jill just talked through, is it, it, it lets us tell these stories about something that doesn't exist and give us that emotional connection. You know, we, we can commit to a course of action. Um, you know, lots of times people in the business world are looking for benchmarks and best practices and they want data and they want to build on all of those things. Um, but in order to do something truly different, to do something transformative and new, you need to make an emotional commitment to something that doesn't exist yet. And you can't do it by building on what's in the, the data that already, you know, what other people have already done. So you need these stories. These stories are what make us human, and they make us be able to develop an emotional connection with the future, with something that doesn't exist. Thank you very much. Kai Gerlich, I'm looking, I'm quoting you again here. This is a kind of a provocative statement. Um, let me read two of them from your list, and I think we'll just have time for you to elaborate on mm -hmm. them, and then we're going to circle around to Susan, then Jill, and then you for predictions. Kai says, the digitization and technological advances we face now seem to be more revolutionary than ever. But futurists better stay cool. And he puts cool in quotes. I like to spell it K-E-W-L, Kai, and learn from the past. And then Kai says, with all that digitization jazz, we better not forget that the world is physical. So, Kai, let you be the one withholding that stick and warning futurists. What is your warning really trying to say, Kai? You know, we had a meeting with a, with a customer uh, uh, some months ago, and it, 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 the customer is in the steel business. So they asked me, hey, come on, Kai, you know, uh, we, we have to transport 20 tons packages of steel. How do they digitize it? What do you want to do with it? Tell me the future. And in reality, very much of what we do is physical. We are physical beings. The stuff around us is still physical. So... Uh, you only get what digitization means if you do not forget that there are some really physical objects and living beings behind it. Otherwise, you miss the future, the, how it feels, how the future will be, really be. You're still thinking, thinking in, in, in laptops. And I think it comes from some companies that got raised up totally digital, like, like Google or Facebook. Uh, they have no experience in being really physical into the physical business. 
So for futurists, this might be a trap. It's, uh, it's a mixture of all, and you cannot just digitize uh, everything. It, it won't work. So this is a myth. Thank you very much. So much for myth, myth, myth. Thank you very much, Kai. I'm going to circle around to Susan Gorbett. Susan, please look into the crystal ball. I think we've been inching toward that crystal ball for the whole hour we've been together here on Game Changers Radio. And Susan at Gorbett Design, I'd love for you to look at around the time of 2020. Susan, somebody recently reminded me that it's only three New Year's Eves away. However, I have it seared in my brain. Oh, Matt Gorbett is tweeting. Thank you, Matt. I have it seared in my brain that Barbara Walters, Baba Wawa, Baba Wawa has said 2020 for so many years and now it's almost here. So take a look in the future at Gorbett Design. And Susan, tell Tell us, I'll give you 60 seconds, what will change about our discussion about futurists at about that time? Go ahead, Susan. Well, one thing that all three of us have in common is that we help others think about the future. Um, and we use techniques that help people do that. And I believe that people will become far more fluent in that language and in, in using those tools to help them really look at what's happening around them and build on that to imagine potential futures and to hold those strong opinions loosely. Thank you very much. Very much. I appreciate that. Right on time there. And now let's go to Jill Irvine. Jill, I can give you 90 seconds because Susan was so generous with her time. So Jill Irvine, predictions. What do you see? Okay, well, my, my key prediction is there will always be a future and that humans will always be part of it. And I emphasize humans because that's what the future to me is about. The trends will be different, the technologies will be different, but essentially the human core values that underpin life now and in the future, however long a span we want to look at, will remain essentially the same. And that's what future thinking comes back to in my mind. Very interesting. What about all of those horrific movies that we see, all of those futuristic everybody destroying Earth and planets and collision and all of these special effects? I'm not and into you that say, scene. <laughs> well, I'm not either, but I'm worried that they don't share your vision. You said there'll always be a future and humans will always be part my of it. My vision doesn't sell. My vision is not about box office hits, though. That's the fundamental difference, I would say. I like that a lot. You know, once you go to a movie these days to see a certain genre, Jill, they seem to play the coming attractions. We used to call them that. I'm dating myself now. The the future coming movies, and it seems they seem to all be in the same genre. So I saw Pirates of the Caribbean Part 5. Big mistake on my part. Don't say any more, anything more, Bonnie. This is not a movie review show. And every movie in the preview was special effects and gory things. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm allowed to see other genres for the future, but so what? Here we go. Kai Gorlish, I've saved... Uh, 90 seconds for you as well. Kai, what would Ashley Brilliant say about the future, and what does Kai Gerlich say about the future? I think that our future in 2020 is that we will have another renaissance, so we will reinvent what it means to be human, because we will get rid of uh, most of our functions and jobs that we have now. So we have to focus on creativity, of imagining, of, uh, of to be social beings. So our future will be much human, so to say. We have to really reinvent humanity, so a next renaissance. 
Wow. I, I keep quoting you, Kai. You're going to be so famous on Twitter. We're going to have people quoting you on future shows. I, I have a feeling here. Thank you very much. Let's see. We have about a minute and a half left, so I'm just going to do a shout-out to Charlotte Buey and Jennifer Ford at SAP who sponsor this show. And if anybody is interested in uh, talking about the future, I was invited to broadcast live at SAP Sapphire Now two weeks ago, May 16, 17, 18. And we had two themes. I talked to... 53 people. We did 33 interviews slash panel discussions in less than three days, Tuesday morning to Thursday afternoon. And uh, two themes. One was what's keeping the C-suite awake at night. And interestingly enough, out of the 33 interviews, 16 were on that theme and we didn't even plan it that way. And the other... 17 were on what's keeping the C-suite excited to go to work every day, talking about looking forward. So if you want to find those interviews, just go to voiceamerica.com, click on the business channel icon, it's a banner on their homepage, and put in Coffee Break with Game Changers, or just Google us, and look on the right-hand side episode directory for May 16, 15, 16, and 17, and you will see links to all of those interviews. Susan Gorbett, thank you, and Matt, thanks for tweeting. Jill Irvine, pleasure as well to meet you and Kai Gerlich, come back anytime. And here's my call to action for all of you, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? And thank you to Kevin at World Talk Radio for being our engineer today. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Susan Gorbett, just like Jill Irvine, just like Card Gorlish. Talk to you soon. 2 p.m. Eastern, changing the game with HR. Don't miss it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.